You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. you to listen to Tim Keller, who passed away just a few months ago. In his book on prayer, he says this, prayer is one of the most common phenomena of human life. Even deliberately, non-religious people pray at times. Studies have shown that in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced, not only by those who have no religious preference, but even by many of those who do not even believe in God. One study recently found that nearly 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes. And another found that 17% of non-believers in God prayed regularly. Efforts to find cultures, even very remote and isolated ones, without some form of religion and prayer have failed. There has always been some form of attempt to communicate, communicate between human and divine realms. There seems to be a human instinct for prayer. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth calls it our incurable God sickness. Now, most of our praying is done in crisis, and too often prayer is just a crisis itself. Um, we don't pray unless a crisis occurs, and then we, we begin to pray. And in fact, that song, it must have been new. I don't know that I've ever heard it before. Talked a little bit about this. We don't even know how to pray. And so prayer becomes its own type of crisis. So we pray in crisis, and crisis becomes, and prayer becomes the crisis for us. And that's when we generally call out to God, and there is a difference. Now, if you've got your Bibles and you're there in chapter 33 of Exodus, if you go back to 32, 33, 34, these three chapters all are tied together. It's, it's a unit here in the book of Exodus, and it's all around the crisis of Israel rebelling against the Word of God, turning on their commitment to be obedient to the word and the commandment and the covenant of God. And they called for a God, for Aaron to make him a God. And of course, he made the golden calf. All of that, 32, 33, 34, all of that is this one unit that is right here. It is a major crisis. So you've got a crisis, and now you're going to have prayer. Uh, it's amazing to me. And if I had 20 additional minutes this morning, which I do not have, okay, I understand that. But if I had 20 additional minutes, I think I'd take you back through some of this and show this to you, how in these three chapters, there is just this progression of prayer. It's all through here. And by the time you get to where I'm going to take you, the middle of chapter 33, uh, this morning and into chapter 34, it is basically all prayer. So in the midst of this crisis, you've got praying going on, but there's a difference here. 
And it's a difference that I really want you, I want to help you learn, that I want to help you work through, and that is the difference between praying through a crisis and crisis praying. Praying through a crisis rather than simply practicing praying in the midst of a crisis. What's the difference? Well, when you pray through a crisis, it's going to do something in your life uh, that I'm going to show you this morning. Praying through a crisis is literally that. You're praying before the crisis. Moses has been doing that. You're praying through that crisis. You'll be praying after that crisis. And so it is consistent. It is elongated type of praying. Um, It is a type of praying that is consistently talking to God. Uh, The other approach, uh, crisis praying, is simply usually just a cry and appeal up to God, God help me, God do something, get me out of this situation. And when God doesn't act in an immediate way, we go to working out our own system of getting out or through the crisis. So there is a huge difference, and you're going to see the difference that this makes in the life of of Moses, and that's really what I want you to focus on today. Now, let me explain something as we get into this. Moses and Joshua were up on the mountain. You remember that. They had nothing to do with the golden calf. They were not part of those asking Aaron to make them a god, Um, and I, I think that was kind of interesting for them to ask Aaron, make us a god. Uh, and not create us a God because he couldn't create anything, Uh, but make us a God who will go before us, who will guide us. They were not part of that. They were not part of the worship, but they get caught up in the crisis. They get swept up in the crisis that is taking place at the base of the mountain. Now, this is a good place to look at a principle, and a principle here is this. Your sin will impact the lives of other people. Sin will sweep innocent people up into the crisis that it creates. Moses had nothing to do with this. Joshua had nothing to do with this. And yet they get caught and swept up and involved in the crisis that is going on. That happens in our homes. It happens in our churches. It happens at work, that we get swept into the crisis that sin creates. You need to know how to pray through that. You know, it's one thing when you create your own crisis and you call out to God. It's another thing when you're swept up into it, you had nothing to do with it. How do I pray through all of that? Well, let me show you one simple, I'm going to show you two, but let me show you to begin with one simple principle up front, and the principle is this. Nothing will improve your praying like praying. Nothing will improve your praying like praying. Now you say, when I preach, I just get frustrated with prayer. Uh, it, it's so difficult for me to do. I, I, get to, I start to pray, and there's a thousand other things that come up. I'm interrupted. I, I just get frustrated and to the point to where I just say, just forget it. I do the same thing with Bible study. When I wanna, let me give you just another principle right here. If you want the activity of Satan in your life almost on an immediate basis, get on your knees and start to pray which ought to tell us that prayer scares the wits out of the devil. Never am I ever attacked like I am when I try to pray 
or when I try to study to write a sermon. Uh, Praying's worse than, than the other. But let me tell you, if you want to be attacked, you just start to pray. And Satan will come. Now, listen, I, you know I'm ADD. And uh, if you, you say, well, I don't, I'm not bothered with that, you start to pray. Because every thought you ever had, Satan will start throwing into your head. He'll give you everything that you got to be doing, ought to be doing, need to be doing. Every uh, ungodly thought that ever what starts flooding into your head and into your mind. Let me tell you, prayer is not for sissies. It, it is a difficult thing to get on your knees for five minutes uh, and pray. But that's where I would suggest that you start, start with small increments of prayer. Now, Tim Keller that I quoted earlier, who passed away just a few months ago of cancer, uh, made the statement months and months, I think he made it back last year, or maybe even before that, he said, my wife and I only thought we knew what praying was until I got this diagnosis. That is, crisis has come. And in the crisis, Keller said, we really learned what it was to pray. Now, here's the interesting thing. For 80 years, I can't find that Moses prayed. I, I can't find that he prayed for the 40, first 40 years he was in Egypt. I can't find that he prayed the next 40 years when he was just wandering around in the wilderness. Now, I just can't find it. I don't see it there anywhere. But I tell you, when he started praying, it was after he was 80 years of age. And after he was 80 years of age, do you know what? God beckoned him, drew him, called him into prayer at a place called what we know as the burning bush. And it was there that he responded to God and the prayer life of Moses started. And this is where I'd like to go back and just kind of walk you up through this. Moses begins his prayer life at that point. And now you're going to come and you're going to see a robust believer in God engage in critical praying in the midst of crisis. And so nothing's going to improve your praying like praying. Moses shows us that. In fact, look at how it improved his praying. Verse 9 of chapter 33 tells us this. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Come on down and look at verse 11. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. His prayer life, you're beginning to go back and look at it to see that it has evolved, it has grown, it has deepened, and it deepened because he spent time in prayer. Put your finger right there in chapter 33 of uh, Exodus and look over just a few pages to Numbers chapter 12. Because Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, begin to talk about this very thing, his own prayer life. As if Moses was the only one that ever prayed. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. And they said, verse 2 of chapter 12 of Numbers, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Well, he speaks to us. We pray. It's kind of this, you know, arrogant, well, we pray too. He's not the only person that's ever prayed. He's not the only one that uh, has ever heard from God. Has he not spoken through us as well? Miriam says that. Aaron says that. Now listen, listen to, to what's said. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stood, way at the door, uh, stood at the doorway of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam, and when they had both come forward, he said, now hear my words. 
Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I'll speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. That literally is what the Hebrew says, mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark saints. says, I don't give him, you know, these esoteric, um, witchy-sounding uh, riddles that he has to go and figure out. I don't do that. He says, I speak openly to him, not in some kind of riddle. He beholds the form of the Lord. Now, I'd love to just stop and talk about that. But you go steady it. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them. So here is God who comes back time and time again, and he says, let me tell you something. He says, Moses has progressed to the place to where when I speak to him, I speak to him not just face to face, but mouth to mouth. In other words, I'm extremely close. I get right up on him when I talk to him. And so you see the growth of Moses' prayer life here because nothing improves praying like praying and nothing will improve you like praying through a crisis. So Moses begins to pray. Now let me show you this in the matter of this crisis. Verse 12, chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name. Now, Moses is praying back to God what God has said to him. You ever heard that about praying? The word of God back to God? That's a very effective way. There are a lot of times I'll just get to the Psalms, open a Psalms, and just start praying back to God that Psalm. Well, he comes and he says, God, this is what you've made known to me. You've said this to me. I have known you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now, do you see the word favor right there? The word favor there is chane in the, in the Hebrew. That's just fun to say. Hebrew's fun to say. Chane. You know, I'm like Peter Rabbit in that movie, Peter Rabbit, when he gets that bad apple. Ha! Ah, you know, chane. Is the, that's all I can think of when I think of Hebrew. There's the word right there. What is the word? Well, let's look at it for a minute because watch it what happens. He's going to see it again and again. Verse 13, found favor. At the end of verse 13, find favor. Down in verse 16, found favor. Verse 17, found favor. Five times you read that word favor. Kane. And the word literally means Grace. It can also mean precious, but it means grace. I have found grace in your sight. I have found grace in your sight. I have found grace in your sight. Just over and over. In fact, notice what he says. This is a sermon here in itself in verse 16. He says this, how am I and your people to be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Grace. How are you different than everybody else in the world? Grace. It's not what you do. It's not what you've been uh, trained to do. It's not your education. It's not your bank account. The thing that makes you different than every other person on the face of this earth who does not know Jesus Christ is that you have grace. 
That ought to elicit a little bit more. At least, it, you know, nine-something in the morning you can be awake. That's a word. That is the distinguishing mark of the people of God. It is the grace of God. He says, how in the world will the world uh, be distinguished from us? It's going to be distinguished by your grace. And so five times this word grace is used there over and over and over. And when you read this, when you read what he says, you, you've said this to me back in verse 12. I have known you by name, and you have also found favor, grace in my sight. What is Moses saying that God said to him? You matter to me. Do you understand that's what grace is saying to you? You matter to God. You matter to him. Moses needed to know that. Moses had had a rough 80 years, and things had not gotten better since he met God, to tell you the truth, with these Hebrews. And he needed to know that in the midst of this crisis, I matter to God. You need to know that. And wherever you are this morning and whatever you're going through this morning, you need to know that. And listen to what Moses' response is in verse 13. Now, therefore, because of that, because I matter to you, because I have found favor, grace in your sight, I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Do you hear what Moses is saying now? Back to God. When God says, you found grace in my sight, you matter to me, Moses says, tell me more. I want to know more. I don't want to say, hey, I've had all I can take for a week. Get me out of here in about 35 minutes. That's all I can handle. No, Moses is saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. I want to know your ways. I want to know everything there is to know about you. You know, that's what Jesus says to his disciples. John chapter 15, verse 15, when Jesus said to them, now therefore I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways. Jesus says the same things to these disciples. John 15, 15, he says, these things I have spoken to you because you are my friends. I've told you everything that the Father has said. He comes to him and he says, you matter to me, and I have told you everything about the Father. I've not held any of it back. I've not kept any of it back. And so he comes, and what you see in the life of Moses is this. You see a man who begins to pray, and he begins to pray a little more, and he begins to pray a little more until he is wrapped up in prayer. Because nothing will grow your prayer life like praying. And nothing will grow you like praying through a crisis. Now let me show you the second thing. And boy, we're clipping along pretty good, aren't we? Here we go. Here's the second thing. And the second thing is this. Nothing elevates you above crisis like prayer. Now listen to me carefully and let me explain what I just said. Nothing elevates. And I can hear my preaching professor say, if you got to explain that, Mac, then you didn't make the point clear. <laughs> uh, nothing elevates you above crisis like praying, like prayer. I did not say 
prayer will take you out of crisis. Prayer did not take Moses out of the crisis. Even beyond that, we could go to the New Testament, into the Garden of Gethsemane, and we can listen to our Lord and Savior pray, Father, if it, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And the fact of the matter is, the Father did not allow the cup to pass from him. Prayer did not take him out of the crisis. Prayer is not going to take you out of crisis. But prayer can elevate you from the crisis. It can lift you up above the crisis. In fact, let me tell you, at this point, you're going to begin. This is just kind of amazing here how everything recedes now. The crisis seems to be gone. It seems to be just a faint whisper. It seems to be, I, I don't know why I do these things, but I did this week. I was reading um, Douglas MacArthur's final speech at West Point. Uh, and I read it, and then I listened to it, and then I read it again. And, uh, and, and MacArthur comes in that last speech. And boy, I tell you, if you can listen to that and not just sit there and tear up, uh, you don't have a heart if, if you can do that. Anyway, MacArthur's just, you know, in that stilted voice of command, speaking of the twilight of his years now. He says, I can faintly hear, listen, with thirsty ears, the far plaintive cry of the battlefield and the trumpet sound of reveille. Moses almost can faintly hear What's going on down in the camp? All of the sounds of the people, all of the noise. But it's faint. And everything now has lifted him up and over the crisis. He's still in the crisis, but he's got a different perspective here. And so now he comes, and the interesting thing is this. He has prayed. Do you see back in verse 13? Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. But now watch it what happens as he prays through this. He comes on down in verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, grace in my sight, and I have known you by name. Now Moses, watch it the shift. Look at the deepening. Watch it how he grows. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your way now. Show me your glory. Now listen to what God's word is going to say back to him. I myself, that's emphatic, I myself will make all my goodness, two things here, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you 
The goodness of God, the nature of God, he is a good God. Whether you get a bad report from a doctor or not, he is still a good God. Whether you go out of business or not, he is still a good God. Whether you go broke or not, he is still a good God. He says in every situation and crisis you find yourself in, you will discover I am a good God. That even in the crisis, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And then he comes to the second thing, and this is just fascinating to me. He comes to the second thing, and he says this. Now, I don't know. I have a good friend by the name. He is president of Reformed uh, Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. He's Presbyterian. Uh, His name is Ligon Duncan. He is a huge Clemson fan. That's what makes him, you know. A great guy. No, he is a he is an old he is just a great preacher, and uh, I love him. I love his brother. He comes and he says, "This is the and I don't know. I'll go by what Doctor Ligon Duncan says. He says this is the only time God is the subject of a sentence. So now listen, God is going to proclaim. That is, God is going to preach His name." It amazes me how I just, I got, I'd have to be standing up and doing something if I were y'all. I just, he's going to proclaim. He's going to preach the name of the Lord before you. This is what he says I'm going to do. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. You cannot see my face. No man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. Ah, how will we get to that place by him? He's going to have to pick us up and put us there. And where is he going to put us? You'll stand there on the rock and I'll come about. And it will come about while my glory is passing by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Who's going to save us? God. He's going to pick you up and put you where? He's going to put you on the rock. Who is the rock? And all God's people said at one time, Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to pick you up. You can't climb up here. You can't get here on your own. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put you on the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you can see my back, but you shall not see my face. And what God said he would do, God did Chapter 34, look at verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud. Now, don't forget that cloud because on the day of our 50th anniversary, I'm going to preach on that cloud. Lord willing. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, he preached the Lord, the Lord God. The Jehovah, the Jehovah Elohim, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. You want to know what God's like? God's preaching to you what he's like. God himself is telling you he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in loving kindness and truth, 
who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity. Watch this. Here are the three major words for sin in the Old Testament. Iniquity means twistedness, an internal twistedness. Transgression, that's rebellion. And sin, it means to miss the mark. He says, I am the God who forgives these things. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Moses made haste to bow down low to the earth, and he worshiped. Now, I'm going to stop for a minute. I, I listened this week. Somebody wanted me to listen to a, uh, I guess it was a podcast, but it was a, it was a thing where a guy was talking about what is worship. And um, he basically said, there, praying is not worship, and preaching is not worship. Well, right here, it says that God proclaimed, God preached he preached his nature, and we are told that Moses made haste to bow low to the earth, and he worshiped, and he said, if now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray. So it seems to me that preaching and praying is a part of worship, because if Moses was doing it and was called to worship, that's enough for me. Well, God does that. He causes his presence to pass before Moses. And does that have an impact on Moses? Is he still growing in prayer? Now, boy, I am telling you, I don't do this. All. Take your Bibles and go on over to chapter 34, 29. I am passing over Scripture. It's just eating me alive up here. But I got to get to this. It came about when Moses was coming down from the mountain. Now, he's been back up there for 40 more days, 40 more nights. The people don't lose their mind this time. Um, they're, they're waiting patiently. He came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony. What, what, they were in the hands of Moses. He was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Now there he is up into the glory of God and he comes down and his face is shining. And the King James puts it this way. He wist not that his face shone. And I always love to tell folks, the people who are most filled with the glory of God and the spirit of God are the least aware of it. Amen is right. Amen is right. Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him. They had run away, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face because they were terrified. They were afraid. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out, spoke to the sons of Israel. Uh, when, when he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, so Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went to speak with him. Now, you don't hear any more about that until, and this is what I want you to do, close the book of Exodus. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. No, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. You come to Paul's commentary on Exodus chapter 32 
33 and 34. Paul's going to comment on it now in chapter 3. And I want to show you three things. Verse 7 and verse 8 is one. Verse 9 and verse 10 is two. Verse 11 is the third thing. So just watch in these verses with me. And let me comment on them and then I'll wrap it up. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone. Now what is he talking about there? Talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law of God. If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone came with glory. Now, the fact of the matter is the law reveals to you your sin, and it also reveals to you that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So the law came revealing to you your sin, revealing to you God's glory, uh, his, uh, his law, and how we've broken that law, but it comes with glory. The law is glorious. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses. What was it that caused, what is it that he's saying here is causing the face of Moses to shine? The word of God. Being in the presence of God and the word of God. They couldn't look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face. They looked at his face and they saw the glory of the law and they realized we've broken that. Paul now gives us a rabbinical treatment of what was happening with Moses' face after he would come from prayer with God, that glory would shine, but it would begin to fade. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? He says, if the law the word of God made the face of Moses shine with the glory of God and it begins to fade, he says, what do you think the gospel is going to do to you? Now, look, somebody just say amen. Is that not fascinating? How much more will the ministry of the Spirit failed to be even more glorious. Now, here's the second part, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that is, the law condemns me. In my flesh, I'm condemned to death because I have broken the law of God. And uh, it speaks also of the condemnation, the judgment that fell on Israel uh, down there at the foot of the mountain. But it came with glory. All you had to do was look at the face of Moses, and you saw that the ministry of condemnation came with glory. Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. If you think the judgment of God brings glory, and it does, he says, you wait till you see the righteousness of God and the glory it brings. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. He says, the glory of the righteousness of God will surpass the glory of the law and its condemnation. Number three, for if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains. In other words, the law was fading away. The old covenant 
would fade away and would be eclipsed by what? The new covenant. And he says, the old covenant came with glory, but it faded. He says, the new covenant, grace, the gospel is going to come with an unfading glory. Now watch. And I'll skip all the way down. Let me just get on down. He talks about the veil that lies over the heart. It goes from the veil that was over the face of Moses. It covered Moses' face externally. Now he uses it as an analogy of the veil that covers the heart of the Jew so that they cannot see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It is a, it is a miracle of miracles when a Jew comes to Jesus Christ. I mean, it is, a, it is a miracle. But now listen to what he says because he brings it back around to us. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. Now, how does this apply to us? Is that the glory that Moses had was fading because he was with God and then he was off in the camp and doing other things. You and I are consistently in the presence of the glory of God. That's what Christ has done for us. We are consistently. Moses was not. He would go up the mountain and talk to God. He would go to the tent and talk to God. Then he would go away and do other things. We never, ever leave the presence of the glory of God. Yes, praise the Lord. Now, look at the next thing that he says here. We are being transformed. That is, into the same image. That is, now listen, you go and you lie out in the sun and you get what? Sunburned. Sunburned. You get in the glory of God and you get what? Glory burned. And that is, you know, how you bathing suit you take and you've had something that was here, you had a t-shirt on or something like that and you take that and you've got a, stri- you've got a farmer's tan, you know, you got a farmer's tan. You see that? Listen, you got the image of that t-shirt on you because you had that t-shirt on. He says, here, you're being glory burned by the image of Jesus Christ. That is the glory of God is doing what? He is burning into you by his glory, the image of Jesus. And then he comes and he says this, and it's progressive. We go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. You know how you go from glory to the next step of glory to the next step of glory to the next step of glory? You're doing it because there is no veil on your face. You see that? With unveiled face, that's a perfect passive participle. And it, it would be stated like this. He's lifting the veil and lifting it 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 and lifting it. Just on and on and on. Once your face is unveiled to the glory of God, it never gets veiled again. You know what you call that? Eternal security. Eternal security. 
Once you have caught a picture of the glory of God, it changes, it transforms your life. And let me tell you what it does. It transforms you to where it will elevate you up. Look at Moses. He's up above the crisis, not out of it, but he's in a place where the crisis is not directing his life, but the glory of God is. Now, here's the question. Has the veil come off your face? Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.